You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, May the 4th. It's quite a civilised time for you if you listen as soon as I upload this. Not so much for me. 5.25 here in Louisville, Kentucky. So I can't even tell you what the weather is, though. There are some nasty thunderstorms forecast for this part of the world later in the week, which could mean that once again the Kentucky Derby is running something of a, a slop fest. But it won't stop me hoping against hope, as I tweeted yesterday, that uh, for the first time I've worked on the Kentucky Derby, that the horse that hits the line in front will actually be the winner of the race after my two previous ones, uh, Maximum Security and uh, last year's First Past the Post Medina Spirit weren't. Anyway, more of that later in the program. Uh, We're going to first of all start with what's happening in the UK because there is a battle of a very different kind and it's becoming a bitter battle as well between the two major racecourse conglomerates, Jockey Club Racecourses and ARC, the arena racing company. Lee Modstead is the senior writer from the Racing Post. He's exactly the right man to tell us what's going on. Um, this is a this is a bitter war, Lee, it seems. It really is, Nick, yeah. I mean, it is, it is no surprise to anyone who follows British racing politics to learn that some stakeholders in the sport are not necessarily getting on as well as they might, but that really has picked up a pace. It all relates, Nick, to um, a proposal that the BHA have put forward that is aimed to tackle uh, the growing problem in British racing of really small fields in races where you wouldn't normally expect them. Um, Field sizes have been going down and down and down. It's becoming an obvious problem. And I think one that the whole industry believes needs to be uh, confronted. Where there are differing views, is how that that should be tackled, how the problem should be tackled. The BHA has put forward a proposal that is supported by the National Trainers Federation that would see in next year's fixture list 300 races plucked out from the programme. And the majority of those races will come between January and March and July and August, the pinch points for uh, small fields. And they would be towards the bottom end of racing's pyramid, the lower grade, lower grade races. So that's the that's the the the, the story in itself. That is, that is what is being discussed here. But where there has been a real flare up in the last few days uh, is in the relationship between the jockey club and the arena racing company. And actually, I say flare up that the flare up has come on the part of the of the arena racing company. In essence, the jockey club position has been slightly more subtle, but they clearly don't agree. What has happened here is that the Jockey Club has taken the view that it supports the BHA's position in reducing the number of races in the programme. Um, ARC takes a very different view. If I can just go back a little way, I spoke to, to Nevin Truesdale for a piece in the Racing Post um, a few weeks ago, a special report on the Jockey Club. And in that, Nevin said, there's a view that we don't get along with art, but that's not the case. There are things we might disagree on philosophically, but there's so much that art chief executive Martin Crudis and I cooperate on. But within that same piece, Nevin also referred to um, a, a, a big story that had come along uh, a few weeks earlier regarding the Jockey Club signing a deal with Playtech, 
um, a casino games operator that seemed to be flying in the face of British Racing's effort to separate gambling from gaming with the gambling review coming up to the government white paper. Um, that was followed up by ARC announced that it would no longer have casino race titles uh, in, on its race courses, so they wouldn't promote casino race titles, casinos. To that, Mark, uh, Nevin Truesdale said, I think that's totally different to the Playtech deal. It was an industry decision, and we've done the same. I just chose not to make a big song and dance about it. That was seen, I think, by Ark and others as a potential dig at Martin Crudders. Again, Nevin Truesdale, when commenting on the BHA's position re-reducing 300 races from next year's programme, told my colleague Bill Barber this week, clearly there's a commercial impact of this, but done in a measured and equitable way, hope this can pay back the sport over a longer period by addressing the current issue and sporting spectacle. Anyone with the best long-term interests of our sport at heart can see that some form of action needs to be taken. Now, I think anyone who read that would have known that that was, or that could certainly be inferred, could be perceived as a dig, at ARC and Martin Credits because it was well known that that would not be their position, that they would not support removing 300 races from the programme, particularly as it's not long since they were pushing to have more races added on to, to certain race cards. Mm -hmm. Martin Credits again spoke to Bill Barber, my colleague uh, in the Racing Post, our industry editor, to respond to those comments and to the BHA proposal. It is fair to say, Nick, that he wasn't holding back in his comments. Now, the central thrust, Lee, of Martin Crudis' argument seems to be that the proposals, such as they are, such as what we know about them yet, are anti-commercial, really, and that by chopping races from the bottom end, say chopping 300 races off the bottom end, you are chopping races that he would describe as levy generative, races that contribute positively towards the levy take and class five and class six races because there are so many bad horses around or below average horses around are always going to be quite well filled so the idea that you're going to solve the field size problem by taking races off the bottom end is a counterintuitive one and then this is what the the bha is is going to have to respond to strategically that's right yeah martin's martin's view uh, is that they're not against the review at all of the of the fixed list of the number of races taking place but he believes the bha's proposal removes largely or to it to an extent anyway the wrong sort of races arc have also uh, produced a paper that looks at um this situation it takes the view um that the, the real areas of concern uh, around competitiveness are those listed in class one to three races on the flat and class two to four races over jumps and the art paper says that they appear barely touched within that art paper uh nick the, the 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 argument is made in short the bha's desire to hang on to its hypothesis at all costs shows an amateur approach clearly unsuited to such a large and complex industry. The NTF, which we should say ARC has had issues with as well in recent months, the NTF executive appears in conjunction with the support of the Jockey Club and York Racecourse, who will not lose a race, of course, says his paper, determined to hang on to the BHA coattails with its support for the hypothesis, blinded by a wrongly perceived dogma. Absent a better explanation, it is evidence of a determination that the sport should, far from broadening its success, broadening, broadening its access, be more elitist. That's in relation, therefore, to 
the BHA general argument. In relation to the jockey club itself, Nick, uh, Martin told Bill Barber, we read with interest the jockey club's rather dramatic view that anyone who opposed the BHA's draft proposal to randomly cull 300 races from the fixture list does not have the best interests of the industry at heart. The jockey club's words are an unfortunate and deliberate, thinly veiled attack on arena racing, who unsurprisingly, given the jockey club's blind support for the proposal, would have by far the most races removed. Martin goes on, of course, one must not lose sight of the fact that the jockey club intends to have a further day at Cheltenham and a new all other race course at Newmarket, which by happy coincidence probably adds up to 300 races. One has to admire their work. It is, after all, in the best interests of the sport. He says that in inverted commas. And of course, the Juggler would say they haven't decided yet they want a fifth day at the Charter Festival and the new market proposal is only a loose proposal. What is clear here is that the ARC and the Jockey Club are at loggerheads on this in terms of their position. And ARC's chief executive is very much prepared to, to fire back uh, without any sort of, um, any sort of filter uh, his views regarding the Jockey Club and its position on this one. In the 40th anniversary, Nick, of the first airing in Britain of Dynasty or Dynasty to your, um, your listeners in America, we have something of a soap opera playing out here of a really important issue in British racing. I would just add as well, Nick, just in relation to the ARC paper and its view on, on the fact that the, the BHA should be more willing to look at races towards the top end of the programme. There is also, of course, a major issue going on in British racing at the moment about what we, what is, seems to be an exodus of good horses from over here. They're going to other nations, to Hong Kong, to Australia, to the Middle East, buying those horses. And I think the BHA would take the view, and maybe the Jack Club as well, that those races need to be protected and enhanced to encourage people to keep good horses over here. But didn't you write a paper last year, which was quoted on this podcast yesterday by Simon Clare, that slightly put a hole in that, in the sort of rather lazy assumption that we are just just a nursery for for horses that that go abroad to Hong Kong and Australia? Didn't you slightly puncture that with some rather well-researched data? Well, you're very sweet, Nick. Thank you. I did, yeah. So this, this special report highlighted that if you actually look at the, the numbers relating to, to Hong Kong, um, which has often been, been deemed to be a, a major importer of British horses, uh, the data showed that horses going from here to Hong Kong have actually fallen in the last decade. Um, and that actually, if you look at um, Australia, where we also... Um, export horses albeit probably no more so than than 10 years ago that australia is actually the country where hong kong is looking to take horses from we also made a point in the or i must have made the point in this special report nick that if you look at exports of horses um california for example would be a big market for for good juveniles over here but they are looking almost more at irish juveniles than british juveniles so there might well be an issue of horses being taken away from this country to other nations. Maybe it's more those Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern nations um, who are rising all the time. But I think it's a problem for British racing and Irish racing. I don't think you can separate Britain from Ireland on this one. But certainly that special report last year, and it did absolutely uh, raise significant doubts about whether horses leaving to those particular nations to the extent that, that some racing professionals might think they are. Right. Well, to be continued, no doubt. Uh, I think sort of quite an extensive preemptive strike, really, from, 
from ARC, and I think it's now uh, beholden on, on, on the BHA to sort of release its plans in full. So we have a pretty good idea as, as to what is proposed. Um, right, onwards, uh, and one area where the Jockey Club and ARC are entirely united is that both racecourse groups are uh, seeking to, well, they have sought and have continued to roll out cashless racecourses, which is not to the liking of everybody, and Leicester has followed suit. Yeah, it has. So, so Leicester um, has put out information that says it is planning now for cash. The stage one with them will be from their meeting on May the 31st. They, they tell um, customers that from this date, all bars and food outlets will accept debits or credit cards only. They do also go on to say, though, for those customers who either forget their card or don't possess a debit or credit card, we will be opening voucher outlets where you'll be able to exchange your cash for vouchers. And should you not spend your vouchers on the day, you'll be able to explain them back for, exchange them back for cash from the main office before you leave. So you can actually still use cash to get a voucher and then exchange a voucher back for cash, which some might seem a little bit odd. But it is certainly this going very much in trend with what other racecourses are doing over here. Cash is no longer king on race courses, except in the, in the betting, the jockey club and ARC are all following this line of no more cash, please, once you're inside the race course or indeed to buy tickets. A number of reasons why race courses would claim that they're doing this, Nick. One key one is that um, as a result of COVID, people seemed keener to book things in advance. Mm. Race courses like it when customers book things in advance. If they book tickets, through websites, they immediately have information on those customers. Those customers go onto the database, they can correspond with them, they can learn about them, they can create a, a better picture of who is going racing on their race courses and how can we get more people like that on their race courses. So that's, that's one reason why they, they like people to use cash. They like people to use cash because they would argue that once you're in the race course, it's a quicker, it's a quicker turn of a transaction. If you're paying for your sandwich or your drink by cash, it's a quicker process than doing it by card. Where you might have to buy cash, sorry, by cash, it's quicker by card. By cash, you might have to hand over your note, then you have to get the change back. It's a longer process. They would argue uh, that it costs more and more uh, to have cash delivered onto race courses and then removed at the end of the day. And they would also make the argument, Nick, that if you look at um, all areas where you use temporary staff on uh, for events, whether that's a race course or a music festival or, or whatever, they would say that data shows that three to five percent is pilfered. Now, that's yeah. not me saying that. That's what they would say. Um, so they are very keen that that that, that or, or that or that, becomes, that ca or that cash is uh, there is cash that is unaccounted for. So if you're doing if you're doing for, an, yeah. an F and B a food and bev uh, tally up at the end of the day and your contact list card only, then you're not going to have any bother. It's going to save loads of time, loads of man hours. We get it all. I totally understand the efficiency of it. Hundred quid contact list now. You're reducing some queues, queues at the entry. Yeah, it's, it's so much easier for the race course to operate in a, in a cashless way now given the improved technology the problem is lee there there is an aging demographic well there's an aging population and a lot of older people enjoy a day at the races still they don't particularly like using their card for everything 75 year old guy came up to me at stand down the other day said well i wasn't going to be let in and somebody else had to get me in on his card and then oh we had to sort it all out and then i can, now i can't get a cup of tea because i don't have a card on me and it's just thinking well 
are we quite there yet, given the sort of people who who populate a race course on a sort of particularly on a weekday? Are we really there yet as a sport where we can say, no, sorry, cashless at yeah eighty percent of the of the of the tracks in Britain? I think that's right, Nick. I think it's, it is a it is a valid point. That point about racing's demographic. Um, is very pertinent to this, the sort of people that go off and racing, particularly, I'd say, to those quieter midweek meetings, are sometimes by, by, um, by necessity older people because younger people might either be at work or they're in study or whatever. There's, there's an older demographic that is more available to go racing uh, to many meetings. Um, the people that consume racing media are often an older demographic. Um, and I think a lot of people, or certainly some people, will be put off by this. I know people, I think you know people, Nick, that don't like to use cards for internet transactions. They have a, yeah. a, a reluctance to do that. And there are still also places in the world and, and very much not, not you know, major, major Western nations uh, or major nations all around the world where there is still a culture to use cash over card. It's not everywhere that has gone, that has gone card first. So there certainly will be people that are reluctant to use cards and at a time when nick if you look at attendances they're not going up i know for british I racing they're going, it. so it's one-way traffic it. you do wonder whether it's a good idea to say to a certain part of the the, the, the potential customer base you can't come in the other po- the other point is I, I i very rarely as you do very rarely get the opportunity to go racing for fun and i and i did last week and I, so i took out cash from the the cash point let's face it we don't most of us don't carry a load of cash on us anymore no. i took out a chunk of cash because i wanted to um, so i have my daughter with me and i wanted to bet in cash in the ring because it's it's fun to do when you go racing and yeah. a lot of people enjoy it. and then there's serious players who are saying right well actually this is now sometimes the only way i can get my bets on is to go racing and and actually have a, a chunky cash bet so um i I'm obviously not one of those serious players, but I like, I wanted to have a bet in every race because I was enjoying the day with my daughter, whatever. Um, because I had cash on me, when I was going and buying sandwiches and tea and coffee and stuff, I wanted to use that cash rather than having taken the cash out and then keep using my card on top of it. Do you see what I mean? I do. I mean, that's really interesting. Too. Cash at the end of the day, that's your little, that's your little float for the day. Yeah. Um, I that's, yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, I think it, it is the case that because of the betting ring and a, a significant majority of people who go racing will use the betting ring because betting is an, is, a, is an integral part of a day at the races for most people, it is still the case that the betting ring is a cash environment. I was at Newmarket on Saturday and Sunday. I happened to speak to a, to a, a race course bookmaker when a customer came along and wanted to place a bet by card and relative to placing a bet by cash, it took ages. It definitely took longer than it would have done to use a card. So the betting ring, quite rightly and quite understandably, still wants to be a cash environment. It is still a cash environment. Even those race courses that have gone card only, they, they, don't, um, they don't enforce that for the betting by, by any means. But it means that if you go racing, you likely will bring cash with you. And like you, Nick, those, at, at Sander, a lot of those people will think, well, I've got cash in my pocket. Let's use it to buy my curly whirly or whatever. Um, they will be disappointed until they can't do. Now, we know that one person who does not carry cash is Her Majesty <laughs> the Queen. Um, Fantastic link. I, I, I knew you'd, I knew, I, do you know what? And I hadn't even thought of that before we started recording. <laughs> Very sadly for Her Majesty and British Racing's um, whole marketing effort i suppose but actually very sadly for british racing reach for the moon the intended royal runner in the kazoo derby 
um, is not amongst the latest horses at the latest forfeit stage. Uh, they just not going to get him there in time, uh, according to trainer John Gosden, which is a which is a great shame. Um, not least because he's a bloody good horse, Lee. It really is a shame, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think when he won the the Solario Stakes at Sandown uh, last late towards the back end of the summer, we were all so excited because it was almost. Um, a potential script that even a Hollywood scriptwriter couldn't have come up with that in the year of the Platinum Jubilee could the Queen not only have um, a major challenger for the, the Derby the most famous flat race in the world but also could she finally win that race for the first time the classic that has eluded her could she finally do it and we hope that Roots for the Moon would be the one I think in recent days Nick we have maybe been expecting this a little bit as within Spiral uh, who was taken out of the the 1,000 guineas by John and Thady Gosden. Um, she had been favourite for the race, but the vibes hadn't been great. Well, we've not heard a lot about Reach for the Moon in recent weeks. We haven't been reading reports of him burning up the gallops. Um, he did have an injury um, which which curtailed his his autumn programme last year. And, and John Gosden has been quoted, again, to my colleague David Milnes, our gallops correspondent, Newmarket correspondent. He said, we plan to run him in the Dante Sex of York next week. However, in the best interest of the horse, we've decided this race is coming too soon for him. Consequently, he will not run in the derby and will be pointed towards Royal Ascot. It's a real shame. Um, I did half one in the back of my head, Nick. Might one of the, the major owners uh, who had a runner in the derby uh, think about leasing a horse to the Queen uh, for this year's derby? That, that, that probably, probably won't happen. And there are probably only a small pool of owners who could do that or who maybe we would want to do that. Um, but uh, it, it's a real shame that, that the Queen won't have a, a contender in the Derby. It's still going to be part of the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Derby Day will be a major part of uh, this great national celebration of the Queen and her reign. She almost well, she certainly plans to be at Epsom. We'll celebrate her being there at Epsom. Um, and the Derby will be forever synonymous with the Queen, it just a real shame that this what looked like a potential chance for the Queen to win the race isn't going to happen. Okay, Lee, Chester's May Festival begins today. It would probably would have started by the time I I, I upload this. <laughs> uh, we are hoping for a few classic clues. If you scan the, the the decks today, tomorrow, Friday, what jumps off the page at you as the likeliest classic winner before we even start? Well, I think undoubtedly, Nick, we're looking in in Chester's premier derby trial they've got two uh derby trials at chester the, the d stakes which comes up tomorrow uh but primarily the, the chester vars now the chester vars in recent years nick has been a trial that has been used significantly um by aiden o'brien he's won the derby with a horse that, that won the chester vars and one that got beat in the chester vars he again is represented but it's a horse called new london who is trained by by charlie appleby who of course had the first and second in the 2000 guineas at Newmarket on Saturday. Uh, Charlie Appleby looked at the trainer with quite, by quite a significant degree, the strongest team of three-year-olds in Europe this year. And New London goes into the Chester Vars as red-hot favourite for the Vars, but also as second favourite for the Kazoo Derby. Um, he was a, a good winner at Newmarket on his seasonal reappearance, beating two other Godolphin horses on that occasion. He now runs in the Chester Vars, not a race that um, I think Charlie Appleby has been massively associated with in the past, but he will be very much the one to beat in that race. And if he was an impressive winner, Nick, of the Vars today, one wonders whether he'll come close to challenging Luxembourg 
for favouritism. Luxembourg was third in the in the 2000 guineas for Aidan O'Brien. He is currently favourite for the Derby at a general two to one. New London is around five to one. Next best in the Derby betting, Nick, is another Charlie Appleby, Godolphin horse, Walk of Stars, who was a very good winner at Newbury on his seasonal return. And he goes at Lingfield on Saturday in their Derby trial, which listeners will remember is the race that last year was used for Adar, trained by Charlie Appleby, Paul Godolphin, who went on to win the Derby at 16 to 1. So a big week of Derby trials, particularly if you are Charlie Appleby. And of course, Aidan O'Brien will also be heavily represented uh, across uh, across Chester mm-hmm. and then Lingfield and then Leopardstown on Sunday. Well, as I said at the beginning of the programme, I'm now uh, safely ensconced in Louisville, be here for the rest of the week and looking forward to bringing you lots of Kentucky Derby news over the next couple of days. And if you haven't listened to yesterday's show and listened to Michelle Yu's rundown of uh, of the runners and riders, you should. It's absolutely excellent. Everything you need to know in about five minutes. Um, Bupat Sima trains in the United Arab Emirates. He trains summer is tomorrow, the second in the UAE Derby. And that horse is now uh, run for the Roses Bound, has been training here in Louisville um for the past few days and, and Bupat is is with me now uh Bupat, how, how excited are you as somebody who spent time here as an assistant trainer or someone who spent time in in, in Kentucky stud land when in your youth to to be back here with a with a runner in the derby oh it's absolutely phenomenal I mean um I could never I could never think that I'll have a horse running in the Kentucky Derby I've been I've been I've been I've been in Churchill Downs as a spectator then I've been Churchill Downs when I was working there um in, in California, and uh, yeah, just un- absolutely unbelievable. You know, we got a horse who's um, who's a, probably a good horse. I know he's a long shot um, running in this race. And with him, has it been sort of a, a sort of strategy for ever since you thought he was any good, or has it slightly blindsided you? No, to be honest, I mean, you know, never thought that he's going to be going to be here. But you know, I definitely thought he's going to he's, he's a good horse. I thought he's going to be a Good horse for the Guineas. I thought he's probably the best horse we have, um, you know, for the Guineas, and then um, maybe maybe for the UAE Derby. But you know, obviously, never thought that he's going to be a Kentucky Derby horse. At UAE Derby, he just had bowled along, showed lots of pace, and it's been suggested to me by some local handicappers here. Oh yeah, Summer is Tomorrow could be a contender for part of the early lead. And I thought a non a non American trained horse right on the speed in in the Kentucky Derby. Can it happen? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think there's a there's a little bit of a jinx about uh, coming from from abroad. I think, I think he's I think he definitely has the has early speed. He's very good in the gate. We, in fact, we're going to school him today again, and uh, so far so good. We're really happy with him. We have got a good draw, and uh, that's what he likes to do. He likes to ball along in front. You know, we've we've tried to take him back, and uh, he doesn't like it. So you know, if he can if he can break, you know, that that'll be the plan. And, and just in terms of uh, the weather, it, we could get some nasty stuff. Is that going to be a bother to him? Well, I hope not. But I think I think he has gone on a little bit of a slop back home. Uh, and, you know, according to all the experts, they say that uh, he's bred to go on it. So, But but to be honest, I would I would not like any surprises. I would like a good track where it's, 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 it's fair for everybody and, you know, we all can get a fair chance. Uh, you've sized the opposition up. I think there's a certain kind of opacity to the race this year. We're not quite sure if there's a genuine superstar in there. And, and if there is, he hasn't put his head above the parapet quite yet. I mean, dare you dream of of hitting the board or even winning this race. We're not here for fresh air. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's done everything right. And, you know, when it, when it comes to a horse's mind, he's, the, he's probably the best horse that can that can travel and take everything in. Um, nothing really bothers him. So, 
which is a great thing. We've you know we've schooled we've schooled quite a lot here. Uh, not just not just gate schooling. We padded school them. You know we know that when you do that walk and all the roar of the crowd and you know. But I think I think he just takes everything in. In fact, he's schooling again today in the sixth race, and uh, I think he's the right kind of a horse, and I think he can probably do it. And we. Um We've made a lot of the fact that Tim Yachtin is an ex-Baffert assistant represented in the in the Derby. Uh, people have rather overlooked the fact that that's where you spent quite a bit of your tutelage as well during some during some good years. Did you learn quite a bit about preparing a horse for this race from Bob Baffert himself? Yeah, I mean he's the he's a maestro, isn't he? He's like um, he's 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 what he's done. What he's done is like no other no other dirt trainer's done. I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a legend of it. And yeah, of course, you know when you work for when you work for somebody that good, and you got these good horses around you, you know you you get to absorb quite a lot. And yes, I mean I have to say, it, I did, I did, um, I did, I did get to learn quite a lot there. That's for sure. Bubat Simar, the trainer of summer, is tomorrow in the Kentucky Derby. On Saturday, Kentucky Derby two years ago was won by My Racehorse, the Micro Show Syndicate, with whom we've been teaming up to promote the joys of shared and fractional ownership and who have just launched in the UK and Ireland. You'll have seen Syndicated. He started favourite for the two-year-old race at Newmarket on Sunday. He finished third, I think, behind a very, very good horse of Richard Hannon's. And I think Andrew Balding very pleased with him. They can build on that for sure. And not impossible. He could still turn up at some of the major summer festivals. Very promising start. Uh, my racehorse, of course, I said, started out here in the US in 2019. Authentic was that Derby winner of two years ago and won the Breeders' Cup Classic as well. And you can join a community of over 30,000 owners worldwide and experience that sort of ownership at a fraction of the cost. And as you heard from the founding partner in UK and Ireland, Jules Pittam, on the show a couple of weeks ago, a share is yours. You actually own the piece of the horse. And of course, you get regular updates, yard visits, exclusive events, all as being part of of a My Racehorse owner and very pleased to be teaming up with them for the 2022 season. Right now we are off to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Nick, usually in this segment we're chatting about racing under lights at Happy Valley, Hong Kong City course with its skyscrapers and high rises providing the backdrop, one of the exciting experiences in world racing, which hopefully we can all enjoy again in post-COVID days. No, it's one of those Wednesdays when racing switches to Sha Tin and predominantly the dirt track at the New Territories course. Eight of the nine races today are on the all-weather. At this type of meeting, it usually pays to stick to tried and tested dirt form, which is what Bear Slam provides in race number seven, a Class 3 handicap over the extended mile, uh, 1650 metres to be exact. Interesting horse, this one, Bear Slam. He's now a seven-year-old. He was formerly trained by John Gosden, and he was called Persa in the UK. He won on the poly track at Lingfield, and interestingly, he finished third in the Group 3 Autumn Stakes on Newmarket's Rolly Mile, behind Gaiath, no less. That was four and a half years ago. He's now had 29 starts in Hong Kong, his new home, for three wins, and all of them have been on the Sha Tin all-weather. This is his fourth start for David Hall, the Australian trainer who a few years back saddled the great Maccabi Diva for the first of her three Melbourne Cup wins. So, it's race seven, number four, Bear Slam. To beat number seven, uh, which is a romantic combo, and three, Apache Pass, another dirt specialist, them in multiples, including a tote swinger. 
One more to note on this card. That's in race five. A newcomer called Yellow Finn. Number four, Yellow Finn. Uh, trained by uh, Golden 60s trainer Francis Louis and ridden by Zach Purton. He's drawn in gate four, which is a very handy draw at the 1200, the six furlong uh, start uh, in this class four race, which is race number five. So four yellow fin. This is first up. He's had a few barrier trials. Zach's been aboard him every time and he has shown tons of speed. So I expect him to be very hard to catch. So race five, number four, yellow fin to beat seven E brother on this interesting nine race card at Sha Tin. So that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Okay, thanks to Jim, to all my contributors today. Uh, Lee is still with me. And Lee, you've got a, a tip for me for today. Well, Nick, many things scare me in life, but one of them is, is, is trying to find winners at Chester. But I'm a sucker for punishment, Nick. So I'm going to go uh, to Chester for my selection, but I'm going to play safe in the sense that I'm going to go with a man who is so good at winning at Chester. That is the jockey, Franklin Norton. He's got a tremendous record at the track. He rides a horse for Charlie and Mark Johnson, Gobi Sunset in the 4.45. That's a seven furlong handicap. He's drawn three. You want a low draw at Chester. You want a horse ridden by Franny Norton as well. So I'm going to go for Gobi Sunset, 4.45 at Chester. All right, Lee, thank you so much. That was Wednesday, May the 4th. Be back again tomorrow with lots of Kentucky Derby news. For the moment, it's bye-bye from us. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.